Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hello and good afternoon and very welcome to The Late Lunch. This is Barbara Scully with you again today. I hope you're all in very good form. Have you seen the weather forecast? That'd be enough to cheer anybody up. Apparently every day this week it's going to get a wee bit warmer as we have high pressure. So that's uh, that cheers me up anyway. I have to start today by mentioning the absolute goddess that is actress Siobhan McSweeney. She of Derry Girls, Sister Michael fame. Um, as most of you probably know, the BAFTAs were on on Sunday night and looking at some of the coverage yesterday and continuing today actually on social media. The highlight for many of you was Siobhan McSweeney. On the red carpet she was asked as actresses and indeed now actors are normally asked who are you wearing and she name checked a particular brand I think they were called the Fashion Brand Company because she says they cater for all sizes in other words they cater for women bigger than a size 10. She explained that she had turned out offers from various design houses because she wouldn't support a brand that don't cater routinely for all bodies as she described it. She said that offering to dress her body just because her body was at the BAFTAs wasn't good enough when they generally don't do larger sizes. I mean, you'd have to love her. She's brilliant. And if that wasn't enough, in her acceptance speech, because she won a BAFTA for playing Sister Michael, she told politicians in Dublin, London and Belfast to wise up and get their act together for the people of Derry, who she said encompass the spirit of compromise and tolerance in spite of the stupidity of their political leaders. Like, when is the next presidential election? She'd be a great, a great choice. Finally, I mentioned yesterday one of the Eurovision presenters, one Hannah Waddingham, um, and I said that she was a woman I never heard of and very kindly a listener texted in to tell me she was an actress, a well-known actress and singer. Um, And as I said yesterday, for me, she was the standout star of the whole Eurovision. She was brilliant. Well, apparently both Hannah Waddingham the woman I mentioned yesterday, and Siobhan McSweeney, along with actress Imelda Staunton, who most recently uh, starred in The Crown. She's also famous as Professor Umbridge in Harry Potter. Well, those three women are going to shoot a new comedy film here in Ireland, in Kerry, I think, later this year. And the story of the film, it's about a group of women who come together um, after the death of a childhood friend. And when they come together, they discover that this friend was forced to give up her child for adoption at the age of 15. And so the group, the threesome, in on a journey up the wild Atlantic coastline accompanied by a doctor or not a doctor accompanied by a donkey a donkey called Thatcher so Irish films and donkeys are kind of becoming synonymous but anyway that sounds great the shooting is going to take place in various locations around the country and uh, as I say that sounds like something 
very much to look forward to. Anyway, that's the end of my thoughts for today. It's time to get down to some business. Um, we'd love to hear from you. So let us know what you think about any of the topics we are discussing throughout the show. You can send us a text or a WhatsApp to 086 1800 658. And as I say, we would really love to hear from you. OK, uh, first up today, an Irish university backed programme is hoping to be one of the first in Europe to give children in wheelchairs the experience of walking again in a new paediatric robotic exoskeleton. To tell us more about this, I'm joined now by Ronan Langan, who is the clinical clinical lead of the exoskeleton programme in DCU. Hello there, Ronan. Yeah, morning, Barbara. Afternoon, I suppose you say. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. Um, how are you doing yourself? Yeah, good, good, good. Busy day here. I've, um, I've a few. We've, we've, we've got um, lots of adult walkers coming into our service, so they're all it's all happening around me as I'm talking to you. It's great. It, cra- it must be a really po- it must be a really positive environment to work in, you know, with people uh, with with the kind of work that you do. So tell us a little bit um, specifically about the exoskeleton program and how it helps adults who need to regain some mobility. Yeah, so we, we've probably had certainly over 100, if not maybe closer to 150 um, adults through the service since we started operating in sort of late 2019. Um, so we're trying to support as many people who are full-time wheelchair users or even part-time wheelchair users to have the, have the chance to experience walking on a regular basis for like a whole whole, a whole bunch of health reasons, um, you know, that... That, that they can't access otherwise these people wouldn't be able to take steps or walk without, without us you know Okay and that's very much part of, of I think from, from what I've read what your work is about it's about the general health benefits of people who spend a lot of time sitting um, that, and the health benefits they get from actually being upright is that right? Have I got that right? Yeah, I mean, spot on. I mean, ultimately, we, sitting is, is bad for you. We know that in the general population, we you know that the public health messaging is that sitting is the new smoking. We should all be getting up and walking regularly if we have sedentary jobs. Um, but we don't extend that advice to people who are wheelchair users. You know, and the wheelchair is a symbol of, of um, independence and, and doing, you know, um, but it comes at a cost to the body. So, so we try and um, work with some of these uh, individuals to try to reduce that cost and, and, and give them a chance to walk. So am I right then in saying that the exoskeleton program in general is about improving the general health of people, for example, who are in wheelchairs? It's not about making them necessarily walk again. Everyone can benefit in some way and some people will improve their walking or their mobility if they have that. You know, it depends on it depends on your injury or, or, or what your reason for being in a wheelchair is. But almost universally all will get a a health benefit and certainly a health kick from it, yeah. yeah. And can you tell us in in kind of reasonably simple terms, Ronan, what does the exoskeleton look like and how does it actually work on the body of of people who've lost their mobility? So it's kind of like a a robotic framework. So we individually measure each individual and then we kind of build a suit around them. Um, So it lines up with their hip, their knee and their ankle. So, and it's a a robotic frame basically so that when they're sitting, the the robot can then, once they're attached to a property, can rise them up into standing and then we we teach them how to use the technology to take steps um, and to walk. It's it's really smart technology. You know, it, it allows the user a lot of control over the moving and the walking that they wouldn't have otherwise, you know. Okay, so each each actual um, suit is designed specifically for the patient. 
Yeah, well, it's it's the same suit, but it's adjustable for each individual. Yeah. Oh, I see. We have two of them. Oh. Um, they're expensive, so we can't get them. <laughs> we can't get too many. Okay, yeah, <laughs> I was going to say yeah. <laughs> um, and so, as so, I guess then that that works by by getting muscles working that wouldn't be working if you were sitting in a wheelchair, for example. Exactly. Yeah, it gives your body the chance to be in the right position to to let those muscles uh, and explore explore the movement of walking. If the person can do that a little bit, some people might not be able to, and they'll just get the experience of of being walked. Or so other people are driving the suit a, a bit more like a pilot, you know. So everyone everyone has a more or less control over the technology and it's really flexible in that we can offer some people more control if they have it but if people need support we can offer that to them too so it allows us to accommodate a really wide variety of people with different types of paralysis and that's the the versatility of the technology you know I understand but it's not something they take home so that they can use themselves it's something sadly not no No, we'd love to get to that point I presume Um, though technology probably will eventually lead us will it to that point do you think absolutely It'll be commonplace for all of us going around the streets to see people walking around in robots rather than wheeling around in chairs. But it's going to take a little bit of time. Yeah, that God, that would be seriously life changing. Now, tell me about um, how this is now being adapted to help children and, and what ages of children that it might be suitable for. Yeah, so we haven't had a solution available for kids. Um, so the current technology can only uh, support someone as small as five foot. That's really just, you know, your teenagers really yeah. at best, you know. So there was a big gap there and there's obviously lots of kids with um, paralysis for, and being in wheelchairs for a whole load of different reasons. But um, a Spanish company has released the first commercially available device for kids um, at the end of last year. And so we've kind of met with them. We've had a look at the device. It's a really nice robot. It's really functional. It can do um, a lot of the things we wanted the technology to be able to do. Um, And we'll be able to look after really kids from from walking age from around two or three and right up to about 10 or 12. But it's always dependent on height. We should be able to, to work with kids around those ages. So it's really exciting for us. Yeah. And would the potential um, then, uh, Ronan, be greater with children for, I don't mean recovery in that sense, but, you know, would they be able to, because I'm thinking because they're younger and their muscles are developing, would would the potential be greater for and for them to advance further than perhaps an adult who has been confined to a wheelchair for a lot of years? Yeah, I mean, again, the swing of benefits, you know, or the spectrum of benefits for kids will be huge as well as it is for adults. But the, the, the big difference between kids and adults is that children who are in wheelchairs are still growing and their bones are still growing. And without the, you know, the demands of gravity that the rest of us have on us, we grow, that makes our skeleton grow to the shape that we all expect it to grow. It's much harder when you're in sitting and, and we get things like spinal deformities like scoliosis right. and, and hip deformities like hip dysplasia forming through those growth years like as a direct result of, of sitting and, and being in a wheelchair and sitting too much, you know. Wow, yeah, that's really exciting because we all know that there is huge waiting lists for scoliosis in particular for surgery yeah. for children. So this could be a real game changer in preventing more children going on to those waiting lists. Would that be right? Yeah, I mean, the, the beauty of us being situated in Dublin City University and being in a centre of research means we can robustly explore that question, you know, in a scientific way that can help us to answer that question, you know, with a reasonable amount of certainty. Um, so our hope is that, yes, we should be able to delay the progression of scoliosis, 
delay the need for scoliosis surgery and help make an impact on, on those wait times and for people that are out there and, and maybe not need it at all, you know. So it's, it's surgery, a, if we can avoid surgery, you know, for any kid. Absolutely. You know, because it's a pretty big surgery having, you know, ultimately what they do for those surgeries is, is, is metal rods are, are, are put into the spinal column to stabilise it and stop the curvature. So as you can imagine, that's, that's pretty invasive and comes with its own consequences. So if we can prevent that, then um, we're having a huge impact on quality of life, you know. Yeah, I can imagine. Can you tell us just a little bit about going back to the adults? If you have, an, if, if an adult is using the suit for the first time and hasn't experienced, as you say, gravity and being upright, what kind of sensations do you know? Because I think we all think, oh, you know, the excitement of being upright again. But there's obviously a lot of physical, I don't want to say difficulty, but challenges in in suddenly finding yourself in that position again. Oh yeah, I mean it's it's really challenging on a body that hasn't been able to do that. So like we all we try to we try to prepare people and, and encourage them. So lots of people in wheelchairs would have standing frames that would allow them to statically stand. In general, you see wheelchair users tend not to do that, even when they have the frame. It's it's kind of it's just a bit boring standing still in the middle of your living room. Do you yeah. know, so we know compliance is poor, but we kind of do give people a nudge and say, let's get back to doing that, so that your body isn't as shook, if you like. By the process so you know when you go upright if you jump out of bed really quickly sometimes you get a bit lightheaded don't you that your blood pressure hitting your boots but of course we adjust really quickly because we're used to being upright yeah. but someone who isn't used to being upright may not adjust as, qu- as quickly so yeah we have episodes of, of fainting we have episodes of high blood pressure it can be quite it can be painful you know but we try to prepare people so to limit those limit those kind of impacts and you know like they're just things that have to be managed, you know, when you're going through the process. The overriding takeaway from the first walk is, like you described, like the emotion, the euphoria of being able to stand, the joy of being back on eye level, you know, all those experiences, giving your family member a hug. You know, first walks are magical here. They're amazing. Oh, wow. That just sounds, that sounds, that sounds, that sounds brilliant. All right. Um, Are you short of funding or have you enough funding to continue this, this programme? So yeah, we're always looking for supporters, I guess, is the way to, is the way to put it. Um, and we have some seed funding to start our pediatric programme from some really generous donors. Um, but we're still short of covering our plans for a three-year programme, which is what we're trying to build towards. So that when we have kids coming in, we're not then taking it away after a short space of time. Do you know what I mean? We want to be able to keep it going. I mean, even beyond the three years, our initial plan is to secure the funding for us to deliver this to kids for three years anyway. So we're short at the moment um, around 125,000 euros. Okay. And if people want... A bit of work to do. A bit of work to do. And if people want to donate to that, is there a way that they can do that, Ronan, or...? In the way universities work is we work we tend to work with um, kind of high like high net worth individuals and, sure. and people who can afford to give you know what I mean yeah. and, I, and people are so generous and we have um, we have a, a website which is which is www.dcu.ie forward slash exoskeleton and you can contact us there if anybody is really compelled and wants and wants to donate um, we're trying to do it through people who have huge means I guess you know um, and rather because I mean there's so many generous people out there you know yeah. um, but we are of course 
open to that. Um, so if but, any, if there's any uh, millionaire out there who's sitting wondering what to do with his money, you've got a good yeah. idea that it can help him to, to sort that problem out. Yeah, from, well, we're really trying her. to make that like that large amount of money. Then, like you know, we kind of can quantify that that it will impact this many people or afford uh, you know a certain amount sure. of walks for this many people for this long of a time. And and that we feel is is a compelling you know a compelling story Excellent. to take. I think I just think mostly it's universities um, don't really have me- mechanisms to take in lots of small sure. donations. You know, it's not, I get it's not how they work. And I get so, this. but we have a we have a network of of, of a few really generous donors that have supported the adult program Good. and now are new donors for the paediatric program so you know just looking for one or two more individuals who would have an interest in this space and would like to try and make an impact on, on, on the Excellent. quality lives of, of kids in wheelchairs you know Excellent listen that just all sounds great and the best to look with it I hope yeah. you get that funding um, and I, I we, we might check in with you again further down the line to see how that paediatric program is working out but for the oh, moment no, Ronan yeah, Langan yeah. thank you so much indeed for talking to us today Thanks for now Thanks for now Bye bye and you're welcome back to Late Lunch. It's Barbara Scully here. Now, Rathouth Community Centre has recently launched a new initiative called the Rathouth Community Repair Hub. And to tell us more, I am joined now on the line by Ken O'Shea. Hiya, Ken. Hello, Barbara. How are you doing? Good afternoon to you. And good afternoon to you. It's lovely to talk to you. Thanks a million for taking the time. Now, listen, this sounds like a great idea where um, you are combining sustainability along with utilising the skills of our older citizens um, in enabling the rest of us to maybe repair things that we might otherwise throw out. So tell, tell me all about it, how it works. Yeah, Barbara, it's it's a very very good initiative, and it's 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 on the go in a lot of places now at the moment as well. And basically, the idea is, it, it came in through funding from a grant that was, uh, I think, it's, the, it's designed more towards the older generation. And in fact, I'm just in from Ferry House today. A fantastic day out in Ferry House there today with 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 the with the, with the Bee County Council put on a huge display in relation to the to to the older person's support uh, initiative. But uh, but yeah, but the idea is that where we a lot of us would have kettles, toasters, and things like that around the place that we would say oh it's broken again and our tendency is either put it in the bin or bring it to the recycling centre yeah. now it doesn't always have to be there's some very basic things that will go wrong in this sort of an area number one it could be the lead or it could be as simple as a fuse Right. So we, we, we use here what's called, it's a PAT test. And the PAT test is now being used in businesses and insurance companies are recommended that be used for, even in the home, where you you, 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 you get your, your equipment around the place tested, especially extension, needs extension cables, that sort of stuff as well, because they're the most dangerous things that we can have around the place. And basically, with this machine, you can plug in a little appliance into it and it'll give you whether it's, it's, it's okay or whether it is a fail. And the, it's on the basis of the PAT test, we do it. So we, we, a person will bring down this kettle that's not working, we pat test it. If it's a thing that we look at the kettle and ask them how long they have it, because if it's under warranty, obviously they go back and they get it repaired that way. And if not, we will be able to tell them whether it's, it's possibly viable or not to have it repaired. Excellent. That's called a pat test. A pat test, portable uh, por- portable appliance testing. And uh, we've, we have a number of our participants here on the CE scheme, uh, the Rotor Community Employment Scheme, that yeah. we have uh, sent on training for that, and they're qualified pat testers. Excellent. So, yeah, it's, it's a brilliant initiative, and obviously it's, it's, it's going in line. It's keeping the place, uh, keeping the home and, the, and businesses and places safer as well. Of course. Especially with those darn extension needs, you know, you can trip up over them or the lights flashing on them or whatever. Very easy check to be done. 
Good, I'd never heard of that before. And of course, you're addressing then a really interesting point because, you know, when we're thinking of sustainability, the thing is reduce, reuse and recycle. Recycle is the last thing we should be doing, not the first thing we should be doing, correct? Correct, correct. Yeah. So what you're doing is enabling people to fix this. Now, tell me where the older people become involved. Well, what we're trying to do is we're obviously trying to get older people who would have have this have this equipment in their home to bring it down and bring it into a city centre here, or we have a facility up at Jamestown Park where we launched it there last week. We've Astro pitches up there, and we sometimes would use their ease of parking and that up there itself as well. But uh, but the, wherever we launched it last 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 Saturday morning, and uh, during the summer we'll be getting we'll be building up again towards uh, towards you know but people will be on, on holidays and things like that. But in the meantime, we're building and basically. What to do is we get them to bring this, to bring the bring bring the equipment down itself as well. The idea then is that uh, we will have they will meet other people under here. Yeah, we'll also have a number of people who would have worked in that industry throughout their lives. Right, and they suddenly become very interested. Oh, I give you a hand, or I know, or whatever. I have one guy on who was he was a washing machine doctor all his life. He's retired now, right. and he's delighted to come down and give a hand at itself as well. So it's a social inclusive part of the whole of, of the whole aspect itself is, the, is is to get people back out mixing again and talking and chatting again some of the stuff may just end up having to be recycled but the most important part is, is that an effort was made yes. number one reuse and repair if possible yeah. and number two that we have people back out again because there are still people out there that are a little bit nervous after that whole episode of COVID and yeah. COVID has gone from maybe say, maybe being a virus into something where in our minds that people have are getting more they are getting better at getting out again and, and that age group especially as well we want to reach out to Right now listen I have a very special question that I need to ask you here and right. this this I'm going to shame her now on the radio this has come from our producer here Louise who okay. lives, lives by all accounts in a very strange house Anyway, um, she 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 has a problem with her Hoover, and her Hoover is twenty years old. And apparently, she doesn't want to buy a new Hoover because somebody told her that new Hoovers their suction is less than old Hoovers. Now I know there's a joke in there somewhere, but anyway, (laughs) I'm not going there. Uh, But she it stopped working, and they replaced the plug, um, and that was fine. And now it still works. But she says now after she Hoovers for like you know I don't know how long she Hoovers for, but she Hoovers for a few minutes. The plug is very hot. Is that a problem? Is that a a red flag? Yeah, what happens? What happens there is you see, we got to remember when when in a Hoover and in a, like the, like the extension leads, the, your your wires coiled up within inside the Hoover itself as well, and over a period of time they will tend to heat up, and then the, what we would call the the um, they're not they're not as well insulated against each other because of the heat effect over a period of time, and it damages, and that's that's what that's what can cause a fault or a fuse to blow, whatever the case may be. So normally with people, I know people say, God, I could trip over the wire, or whatever it is, but normally it's always advisable to extend when you're long use of something to extend the wire out fully and not that it's fully enclosed in the machine because a current flows through that wire all the time and can cause overheating and that's what can cause it itself as well. But oh. yeah, she, that, that's, that's something she could get tested and again, it's possible if she brings that to, to the right person that that lead could be replaced if she loves that Hoover. There could be nostalgic value, it could have been a wedding <laughs> present, it could be God knows what. <laughs> I'm going to ask. No, don't go there. No, don't go there. <laughs> yeah, no, we won't go there. We won't, we won't ask her why she emotionally attached to her Hoover um, but that's a really good tip so but, but, but what you're saying outside of Louise's issue but what you're saying is that if you're hoovering you should make sure that your your extent, your cable is fully extended even if you're only hoovering you know a small area and not have it up inside the Hoover while the Hoover's on is that right? Correct especially if you're okay, you're just doing something small or something simple now you have to, that, that obviously brings its own issues because you're going around with, 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 yes. with something mobile and there's wires all over the place so you have to be careful you don't harm it strip up or something yeah. you know? it, 
there, there's other issues that can come along with that itself as well. But just if you're careful, but that will be after that. That's why a lot of these extension leaves that are rolled up. Excellent. That's where they become dangerous because of the heat that builds up and it damages the insulation within the wires on them, and that's a cause a short or a fault, which can cause a fire. And the other one big thing, yeah. we hate we'd hate to see, yeah. and that is somebody with a bit of tin foil inside oh. the fuse and a oh. plug. That's bad. Oh, I know that that's bad myself. Ken, you were an oh. absolute mine of information. Can people get more information online at Rattoth Community Centre? Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Onto Brilliant. our Facebook page or onto our website. And all there. the details and, uh, are there. All the details will be there. And as I say, we'll be rolling out, we'll be rolling out, rolling it out further in, in, in time to come. Well, congratulations. It sounds like a great idea. Thanks a million for talking to us today. That was Ken O'Shea there from the Rattoth Community Repair Hub. Welcome back to Late Lunch. Barbara Scully here. Now, if you head over to the LMFM Facebook page, you'll have a chance to win a €200 Euro Cabra Castle hotel voucher with thanks to Gilmore's Mercedes-Benz dealers in Kingscourt, who this week, from Thursday until Sunday, are hosting their biggest ever Mercedes-Benz sales event. They will have the full... 232 new car range and over 80 used Mercedes-Benz cars on display. So if you're looking for a new car, you know where to go. Okay, yesterday, um, if you were listening to the show, you'll recall I spoke to a wonderful young woman um, called Eilish Balf, who ran an event called Flipping Fashion in the Rattoth Community Centre. So it seems to be a theme this week of recycling and reusing and continuing on with that theme. I'm delighted to welcome Sinead Boylan now to the show. Hiya Sinead, how are you? Hi Barbara, how are you? I'm fine, uh, thanks. Good, good. Listen, you run a Facebook shop where you sell uh, pre-loved items, particularly clothes. Tell me about it. I do indeed, yes. Um, Barbara, I just, I set this business up there probably about two years ago. I started um, maybe on Facebook just selling clothes belonging to myself and family members. And um, it was going really, really well. So a friend of mine actually said to me one day, would you take my clothes and sell them and see how they go? So like that, I kind of um, took off from there and taken a few friends' clothes. And I said, look, I'm going to start opening the page and uh, see how it goes. But from then, um, it's it really going very, very well. So it is um, basically, it's just um, a page, as you said, just uh, selling all pre-loved clothes. As you know, we all like decluttering the wardrobes and things like that. And um, a lot of people out there like to reuse and recycle now these these days. Yeah. Um, so it's just kind of basically people kind of um, look, going through the wardrobe, maybe thinking I can sell this or maybe I could sell that or maybe I could get a few pounds for this, like, you know, and um, they contact me and ask me, you know what, I, he popped up on the page. And um, and Sinead, in order to do that, do you um, physically take the clothes from people? Do people have to get the clothes to you or yeah, do you just yeah. go on what they tell you or what? How does it yeah, work? No, no. People um, um, contact me through the Facebook, so they do. And um, I take the clothes for them and um, I go through them or whatever. And I normally get, you know, about 20 items at a time I would take from people. Right. And I go through them and pop them up on the page. Um, like, you know, it's just like, I suppose, you know, to have them in good condition and things like that, you know. But, um, like, I could be here on the page, I could be here one day and I could pop up 20 items and they're gone in 10, 15 minutes. Really? And that's how busy the pages. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. And what kind of, so, I mean, as you say, you actually physically handle the clothes yourself. So do you regularly get, because I'm I'm being cynical now, thinking they they hand you up a bag full of like two good items and a whole load of garbage. (laughs) Do do. you regularly have to say to people, I'm not selling that? I do, but I'm very, very particular. And I think a lot of the 
people that's on my page and that follows me now knows me very well and right. knows, do you know what I expect? Okay. Um, if I get it, I hand it back. So I do, do you know? Yeah. Um, because at the end of the day, like, you know, I like to run, I like to run the business, you know, smoothly and promptly. And I think that's why I have a lot of followers as well, because I am particular. Do you know, um, like there's people there, you know, with items in the wardrobe with tags, people coming to me now, like, you know, they've bought, um, say, dresses for weddings and haven't even worn the dress. They've worn something else instead. I haven't returned it back to the shop. Do you know this? Um, that's, yeah, and haven't returned. So they're happy to get a few pounds for it because it's sitting in the wardrobe and things like that. Yeah. Um, I have to say, yeah. I had to look at your Facebook page and I and I was actually stunned at the amount of things you had for sale that still yeah. have tags on. Um, the tags, is I, I, I can't over myself sometimes. Yeah. And there's a lot of people that will come with me, you know, that will come um, maybe with their 20 items and say in another couple of weeks' time, they'll come again when there's 20 items. And most, some of them, most, the majority of them have tags on them. So they have what yeah. are we like? What are yeah. we like? Yeah, it's typical women, so it is. Yeah. And do you think there's, has that people buying clothes and not actually ever wearing them other than trying them on and then deciding they don't like them and having them in the wardrobe for a while? Do you think that's got worse with our uh, buying online? In other words, you're more likely, I think, to buy online something that when you I get really it, you go, oh. I think that's what it is. I think a lot yeah. of people with COVID and everything even... I say people probably went mad over COVID buying items online. Yeah, and worse than going out even to wear them, and they're you know they're still sitting in the wardrobes. And then I have a lot of people like you know, and there's a lot of people out there that's afraid to shop now as well. Like you know, it takes panic attacks. I've got to know a few ladies on the page, yeah, and they just don't like shopping, right. and they'll come to me and they're happy. Do you know that kind of way that yeah. they come and collect it here? Um, there's no parking. It's, you know, they don't have to pay park or anything like that. Yeah. And then I suppose they're saving money as well, which I suppose nowadays with the cost of living and everything, people are trying to watch for pennies. Yeah. And do you have uh, two separate kind of clientele? In other words, do you have the kind of people who give you clothes to sell and then the people who buy? Or is there a crossover? Do the people who give you clothes also buy clothes? Oh, God, most definitely. Yeah. People will actually, yeah, buy and sell. So they will, yeah, most definitely. There's a few um, local boutiques out there as well. Um, a few of them, maybe they haven't got items that's yeah. not able to sell on their sale rack and stuff like that. They will um, hand them over to me. Oh, like, right. they, they actually are amazed at how quick it, you know, it works on my page and it won't work in the shop. But like that, again... People aren't going into shops nowadays. They're shopping online. Today. And you've you've also built a clientele who will check into your page, obviously regularly, to see what you're selling. So that's I have, very I have, yeah, attractive yeah. to 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 yeah. any anybody in the, in the business of selling things. And yes. do you sell things yeah. other than clothes, um, Sinead? or I is it just do. clothes? I know I do. Um, it's um, I've actually sold sofas. Sofas, chairs, sofas. Yeah, three pieces of furniture, um, set of furniture. Um, I've sold table and chairs. Um, recently there, I've sold it like an electric piano. Um, wow. A lot of I have sold a lot of household items as well. So I have. And so the bottom um, line with you is that they have to be in good condition. In good condition, yeah. With the household items now, I ask people like to send me on, you know, good photographs, and that's so I can post them up. 
and then if people see them on the page, you know, they get the contact, the see, lady, whoever's selling them, the, you know, I give them their contact details. <laughs> I'd visions and, I'd visions of vans arriving to your house unloading sofas and tables <laughs> and chairs and thinking you must live in a very, very, no, with a big garage. I've been, I think I've enough with the clothes coming and going, so I have. <laughs> and do you, the, to go back to the clothes then, Sinead, yeah. do you photograph the clothes yourself then when you get them I photograph them, them all. I, yeah, I photograph them all. I post them up on the page. I answer all the messages. And um, do you model them yourself? Um, I on and off I do, but <laughs> it's not a thing I do um, quite regularly now. Um, but on and off I might just yeah, like that I like to pop in myself to like a few charity shops here in Drogheda and um, pick up a few bits and pieces and just to promote pre-loved. I will you know p- stick a picture up every now and again of what I've bought and things like that. Excellent. Um, yeah, and how you can wear pre-loved, you know, in different any different ways like you know yeah. I think a lot of people nowadays like to be a little bit different too in their style and well I that's it isn't it if not, do you know there's never to me I don't think there's a style ever trending do you know I think whatever that's true into, that's you know, true or, yeah yeah whatever suits you suits you sure everything comes you. well things come back into fashion again anyway if you wait long oh, enough exactly. it'll all come around again really do. they do indeed yeah yeah so where can people uh, get in touch with you um, Sinead um, they What's can your... get in touch I'm actually well I'm based in Tully Allen so I am I'm originally right. from Drogheda but based in Tully Allen but I do have the Facebook page and it's um, just it's Sinead Boyle and Preloved Sinead and Boyle. yeah and they can follow that page they can PM me on through that page now um, if they want I can give out my mobile number and they can actually WhatsApp me as well because there's not a lot of people out there neither using social media so yeah. just if they want to get through to me that way yeah. I can I can you know hand out my number or whatever you know okay yeah do you want to give that to me now yeah, or yeah, yeah go yeah, fire ahead can, Barbara yeah it's um, 087 yep 22 15582. Excellent, excellent. So that's where you can get in touch with Sinead or you can go onto the Facebook page where she is Sinead Boylan Preloved. Continued success yes. to you, Sinead. Good woman, saving the planet so one much. dress at a time. This Happy. is Nelly Furtado. And you're welcome back to The Late Lunch. This is Barbara Scully with you. Now, um, following on from the first item that we did at the top of the show with Ronan from uh, DCU about the exoskeleton project and the new project that they have um, developing the exoskeleton for children. We've had a text in from Matty in RD who says, wouldn't it be great if billionaires like Musk spent their money on things like exoskeletons instead of pointless rockets? Matty, I couldn't agree with you more dead right um, and as I say the, the exoskeleton project they are looking for heavy hitting uh, what do you call them high value individuals who might be willing to make serious donations to the project to get it uh, up and running anyway I have um, another pressing question for you right now how clean is your house like right now how clean is your house would you be happy to have somebody visit or would you be so mortified that you'd jump behind the sofa if somebody rang in your doorbell well help us at hand so stay where you are because right now I am joined by Alfreda Manahan who is a an integrative coach and a trainer. A what gay? An integrative coach and trainer. What is that? I don't know. Let's find out. Hi, Alfreda. How are you? Hi, Barbara. How are you? Nice to uh, talk to you. And to you indeed. Now, look, tell me, because I don't know what an integrative coach and trainer is. So tell us first a little bit about what it is that you do in a general way. 
Okay, so an integrative coach basically is integrating different aspects of psychology into the field of coaching. So I'm not specifically working as, say, a life coach or a health coach, so it's integrating. So for my integration, it's positive psychology, coaching psychology, neuro-linguistic programming, mindfulness, and I'm big into attachment theory, so that gets very much integrated into the work I do. I primarily work with women, mostly in their 40s, who are professionals, who are trying to build their confidence, they're people pleasers, they struggle with their boundaries and they want to really find their voices. My background is also in effective communication so a lot of work I do is helping them apply the skills that they may learn in relation to who they are and what they want to do in the world and be able to bring that into the relationships they have with others. Wow, okay, that all sounds like something we could all use a bit of. Um, so, and, and that's very wide. So let's go back. We'll, we'll come back to, to the wider stuff that you do, but, but come back to where the conversation started because you recently said something about housework that I thought was very interesting um, because you said... With housework, um, most of us, as I say, get, you know, would get mortified if, if somebody called and the house wasn't clean. And you said that this is a sign, needing things, needing your house to be perfect like that is a sign of avoidant attachment, I think is what you described it as. So explain what that is and what your theory is around that. Yeah, so basically, Barbara, you know, we have secure or insecure attachment in in very simple terms. And in the insecure attachment, we can have avoidant or we can have anxious. Um, The particular model I use talks about coercive because the anxious often is focused on trying to get their needs met from other people. But the avoidance side is very much about um, impression management, which is how other people perceive them. And so they try to make sure that they feel safe by controlling the relationships they have with other people by keeping them at a distance. And one of the things that happens is they often end up being people pleasers or perfectionists. And so they don't don't like to look bad because when they look bad, they feel insecure because they feel the relationship is vulnerable. And so it often manifests in things like how clean is your house, which is if people come in, they'll see the real me. And so they have to have this clean environment before they let somebody maybe come close because there's that insecurity around them, them feeling vulnerable within a relationship or fear of being rejected, which is often how attachment shows up. Wow. Okay, that's interesting. Got my head is buzzing now with a whole lot of questions. Um, <laughs> and I'm as you're talking there and describing that, I'm suddenly thinking, my dear late mother definitely didn't have avoidant attachment. She was one woman I know that never gave a fig about how the house was when people she didn't even see it, didn't bother at all when people came to call. And I have to say, I'm not like that. So, is it? Do you think that women from the time we're very young as girls? We learn about judgment. We learn that people are judging us. They're judging how we appear and how we look in a way that I don't think we judge boys. We Possibly that's changing, but certainly for women of my generation, um, it wasn't an issue for boys. But it was something that women learned very early on, that how you present yourself, whether it's what you wear or, as you say, how clean your house is, that it's up for judgment. Yeah, I mean, definitely there is a gendered aspect to it that, mm. you know, you know, women are socialised to you know, present in a certain way from, from, you know, the cut of our hair and the polish on your fingernails right through to how your family is presented. I think there's also a historical element to it of, you know, which is back to, to Irish kind of, you know, history and religion, which is about, 
keeping things behind closed doors. And so you don't let things, these things be seen because you have a, a social um, appearance, you know, and, and you want yeah. to appear as being an upstanding member of the community. And I think we have a lot of that legacy stuff. The attachment stuff is much more to do with the relationships, though, Barbara. And it is about when we feel very secure in our relationships, we're not worried about feeling judged because we think, well, people love us and accept us as I am. And even if I make a mistake, that's OK, because they still accept me. When somebody has the insecure attachment, they either feel that they are going to be judged or criticised. And so they're always trying to protect themselves from experiencing that again. Or they feel that they're helpless, which is the anxious side, which is they're helpless and they need other people to fix it for them. So they often experience a feeling of helplessness whilst the avoidant person is afraid of the helplessness, which is where the perfectionism often comes in, which is everything has to be perfect. And they, if they if they can't be perfect, then they won't do it. So they'd sooner nearly say you can't call than let you in and see the house untidy. And so that's that's more to do with the personal relationships. But I think, you know, as you've said, on a wider scope, definitely there is an aspect for, for women, which is we have to present ourselves in a certain way. And there is a judgment, you know, particularly in relation to appearance that we're often battling against, which is, you know, we're, we're not as maybe capable or successful if we don't, you know, live up to it in a, in a visual, you know, our perception uh, element of it. And when you talk about the relationships, um, are you talking about the relationship with the person who's calling at the door or are you talking about in general our relationships with people around us? So it starts with your primary relationship. So attachment is a developmental and um, psychological process. So you're talking about your relationships with your, your caregivers first and your family, not just your parents, whoever the primary people. So you could have a relationship with a grandparent or somebody else. And when those relationships have that stability of I can be myself without feeling judged or about feeling criticized or if I mess up, they're, they're there for me. And um, that creates that stability to be able to just go, well, I can just go out and be in the world and I, I will feel accepted. Mm. For somebody who maybe doesn't have that, it could be through, you know, familial separation. It could be having a, a sick parent. It could be through, you know, domestic violence or abuse or other things. It doesn't have to be something extreme, though. Nice. It can just be having a, a critical parent might be the problem that that instability then means that has a ripple effect for all of your relationships. So then as an adult, we project an image to protect ourselves from those rejections that we maybe experienced as a child because we don't want to feel that way again. So an avoidant person is what they call in psychology inhibiting affect, which is keeping down the feelings of shame, sadness, anger. And the, the person who's on the other side, the anxious or the coercive side, they're caught in their emotions. So they struggle to actually see things more logically or to reflect on things. So they're more inclined to need people to make them feel better. Whilst the avoidant person is going, I don't want you to get too close because if you do, I'm going to feel all these feelings and I don't know what to do with them. Interesting. Wow. OK, um, just to come back to the housework just for a second, don't get yeah. fixated on this, but just for a second, because I know myself that, you know, I, I mean, I, 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 all of what you said makes sense and, and I take that on board. But I also know myself and I know I get laughed at at home, especially by my husband for this. I can't relax if the place. Now, I'm not Mrs. Mop and I'm not. I live with animals. My house isn't pristine by any long shot, but I don't like chaos. I don't I can't relax if the place is in a complete heap. Um, but is that not you know, I always feel that you can't operate in the world if you're coming out of a place of chaos, even though my daughters can <laughs> see their bedrooms. They definitely can. So I've just contradicted myself. But I always feel better in myself if things are reasonably tidy. Is that not a good way to have the place? Oh, 
Absolutely. And I mean, that, like, obviously, when you're looking at things from a perspective of psychology, it's not just all one thing. Right. You know, I was talking about it in one aspect of, you know, the appearance side of it can, can be linked to avoid detachment. But we also have, you know, other feelings of what feels safe or what feels comfortable for us. And for some people, the untidiness, that clutter can make their mind feel busy or it can make them feel that there's always something on the to-do list and that they need that that kind of cleared before they can sit down and say, okay, now I can relax because everything is done. So that can be another thing that could be a play. But from from what I was talking about, it's really much about the perception. So it's it's managing that perception yeah. that another person might have of you, which is if they come in and the house is untidy, they will think this and mm. then I will feel this, which is often I'll feel shame or I'll feel embarrassed. But wanting it to be clean so you can relax is a different thing. That's often, you know, to just, you know, in general, you know, for some people that that clear space means a clear head. Yes. And that can be a slightly different thing as well. Yeah. True, true. <laughs> Fascinating. I could talk to you all day. Um, so where can people get more information or where can people get in contact with you, Alfreda? Because clearly you have a lot of, of various different things on offer that, that our listeners might, somebody might, it might be chiming with somebody they want to get in contact with you. What's the best place to do that? So I, I'm I'm on Twitter and LinkedIn and Facebook and Instagram and if you if you Google Elfrida E L F or E D A and it's Manahan Vaughan but usually if you're living in the Loudmead area and you put my first name in there's only one of me around here you'll find me my business is Metamorphics which is M E T T A hyphen M O R P H I C S you'll find that you'll find my website as well most people find me through Instagram and Facebook um, and then from there you get links to where I have my online courses and the coaching that I provide and and everything else as well. Brilliant. Sounds great. Listen, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to us today, Alfreda. Really enjoyed that. Thank you very much indeed. Thanks, Barbara. That was great. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. And you're welcome back to Late Lunch. This is Barbara Scully. Okay, so last week, uh, Jerry covered a story about a rescue operation that was mounted in Balbriggan Harbour to save two mating swans, affectionately known as Romeo and Juliet, who... um, got stuck in a, an apparent uh, case of some oil pollution there. So we thought it would be a good idea to check back in and see how these swans are doing. Um, so I'm joined on the line now by Dan Donoher from the Kildare Wildlife Rescue and also Pierce Stokes, who is a volunteer and who I think was actually involved in the rescue. So um, how are you doing, guys? We're good. Thanks for having good. us back. Not at all. Listen, we needed to catch up and see how Romeo and Juliet are getting on. But before we do that, can I can I come to you, Pierce, first? Because I think you were the volunteer who was involved in the actual rescue. Can you tell us what happened? Hey, thanks for having us on. Hi, yeah. Pierce. Um, so I was uh, involved in the rescue. I've been volunteering with Kildare Wildlife Rescue for about 10 years. And because this rescue was going to be very difficult um, I went up to help out, and Andrea and Paul, who are both local to Bath Riggan, um, we all got together and put together a plan. Um, catching two animals, I always say, is not uh, twice as difficult as catching one. It's, uh, it's an awful lot more difficult than that. And with swans that are as sick as these pair, we really wanted to minimise the stress. Sure. So we wanted to keep them together, we wanted to catch them at the same time. And if we caught one, because these swans have been caught twice already, uh, if we caught one and, and one escaped, what would likely happen is it would die in the harbour because it would become impossible to catch. Um, mm. So we put together this pretty big logistical effort. We were there uh, for quite a while on Sunday. Now we were lucky. Uh, the sun was shining. It was a beautiful day. So we had a lot of spectators. The locals came down to see what was going on with these mad people trying to help these swans. 
And uh, yeah, Andrea had to get in with her uh, paddleboard and kind of corral swans up the river because we knew that was going to be where the, the best chance was that we'd be able to catch both of them. And uh, Paul and myself kind of moved a corral up the river. And about, God, it must have been about 8 o'clock at night, we uh, we managed to secure the two swans at the same time. Wow. And Andrea immediately took them straight down to uh, Kildare Wallace Rescue um, because, again, stress is such an issue. These are very, very sick birds, but they are in the best hands now with Dan. So how long in total did it take you if you, if you finished at 8 o'clock at night? Well, I took I took a, an early day in work because uh, I wanted to get up there for what I hoped was going to be high tide, and I thought the swans ahead of themselves. But we ended up being there for about six hours. Wow! Um, in in wildlife rescue, patience is the name of the game. Yeah. And we could have jumped in, kind of. You know, I would I would catch animals kind of quickly or or by hand fairly regularly. But when you're able to stack the odds in your favour and use the time you have. We, we, we played it patient, and then eventually, though, we realised that the, the swans were not going to play ball. They weren't going to swim up the river of their own accord. Yeah. So it was up to Andrea then to use the paddleboard to encourage them up the river, and luckily enough, that did work. And swans are big. They're big birds. You know, when they, they have huge yep. wingspans, and they're, they're reasonably strong, but you say these birds were, were particularly sick. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Swans are the largest flying birds. They're, they're quite heavy and they can be pretty hazardous when you're when you're in a river or in a, a harbour that's filled with pollution. They're definitely big enough to cause you to fall over, fall yeah. into water and things like that. So we took every precaution and the rescue was done with with some ob- observation from the Oiled Wildlife Response Network um, and obviously then Kildare Wildlife Rescue. So we took every precaution, but the, the swans can be can be quite tricky to deal with. They definitely flap their wings and swing your necks around. Yeah. Um, so Not for the faint-hearted, Pierce. No, no. <laughs> we are we're, we're fairly experienced now. I've caught a, I've caught a lot of swans in my time now, um, and so yeah. The, the, but I will say, when they were trying to go up the river, it, it became apparent then just how unwell they were. Um, I, you know, the locals had said, "Hey, but they're not covered in oil," and, and sure enough, they don't look like they're covered in oil. They did a couple of days ago, right? But that's because they've cleaned themselves. themselves. And that means they've ingested, they've ingested a lot it. of that oil. And yeah. that's going to destroy their digestive tract. And I will say it was a very warm day. And just walking around the harbour, I could smell the fumes. And I thought, God, the people walking around this harbour or the people uh, who work in the harbour are inhaling these fumes. So it's not good time. for anybody. L- listen, I'm good. I-, I need to talk to Dan. Uh, Dan, um, how are the swans doing now? How are Romeo and Juliet doing now? Yeah, so they're doing much better. As Pierce said, they arrived fairly late um, on, on Friday evening. Um, so they were maybe checked over by our vets, um, which is Grey Abbey and My Knife Vets. Um, they were given some medication and placed on a drip then as well, just to kind of being dehydrated and, and not fed properly for a few days. So, um, you know, as Pierce said, they weren't f- full of oil, but yet their feathers had been damaged by that. So they were kind of they were wet and not waterproof as they should be yeah. um, so, and stinking of oil. So um, they have, are now pretty stable. So we will begin the wash process um, probably later this evening or in the morning um, and that will help remove any residue oil on them. Um, but they will have to remain. We don't. What do we do next? We can't release them back uh, to Balbriggan. So we're kind of waiting on the next move um, from the, the local authorities to see what's going to be done. Oh gosh, and and I mean, I presume, I presume, yeah, I presume they 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 should survive if you can find somewhere to to relocate them, though. 
Yeah, so the problem, last time we got a, a special licence in National Park to relocate them. Yeah. They ended up going back to Balbriggan themselves. Right. Um, you know, so... Home, we, homing. Yeah, so the, the issue lies there really um, and we're hoping to work with Listen, listen, thank you so much for the work you do because I think volunteering to help animals is there's there's nothing better. So thanks a million and thanks for that update. Really appreciate it. And this is Build Me a Buttercup. And you're welcome back to Late Lunch. It's Barbara Scully here with you. Now, before uh, the news there, we were talking to Dan and Pierce from uh, the Kildare Wildlife Rescue about the two swans who got into trouble in Balbriggan Harbour. We've received um, a response from Fingal County Council, which I just want to read out to you about the situation in the harbour. They say once they were alerted, council officials from both the operations and environment departments went to investigate what may have been the source of the oil found in the harbour. There was no immediate indication of the cause, but investigations into all potential sources are ongoing and will determine next steps to prevent further incidences. We have, however, ruled out overflows from wastewater pipes, outfalls, and there's no evidence of oil pollution along the river or visible on vegetation along the riverbanks or disposal into road gullies. So um, hopefully... That will be the end of, of, of that situation there. And we thank Fingal County Council for uh, giving us that update. Now it's time for this. Five, four, three, two, one. Counting down the top five songs from this week of yesteryear. And today it's number four. And I don't know, I must have been very distracted or maybe I was very busy in the 1990s because I don't think I ever heard of the next song before today. Um, and it's a banger, way better than yesterday's offering, which was an awful earache altogether. Anyway, at number four, we have Two Princes by American rock group Spin Doctors. Never heard of them either. I've heard of the Saw Doctors, never heard of the Spin Doctors. Anyway, the song was released in 1992 and as the second single from uh, their debut album, which was called The Pocket Full of Kryptonite, it peaked at number seven in the US charts but outside the US it topped the charts in various countries including in the UK where it reached as I say number four the song earned a Grammy Award nomination for the best rock performance and I have to say I kind of like it this is Two Princes by Spin Doctors I love that that's brilliant. That's going on my playlist now. That's great. Love that. Anyway, don't go away. After the break, we are going to be hearing about the uh, Meath Food Bank, which is in uh, serious trouble at the moment. So don't go away. Back after this. Now, Ireland is apparently almost at full employment and we have a huge budget surplus, surplus. So it's kind of galling to think there's still a need for a food bank. Never mind the fact that there is one here praying for a miracle in order to keep open due to lack of funding. But that's exactly what's happening for the Mead Food Bank. Ashling Lowe is the founder of the food bank and she joins me now. Hi, Ashling. Hello, how are you? Sure, I'm good now, but you're not. How are you doing? Um, not great. No, tell me. Moment. You set up the um, meat. You set up the meat food bank. When did you set it up, and why? We well, we started really in 2014, and we were out on the streets, um, looking after the homeless and people in County Meath who were homeless. You know, an emergency accommodation. Yeah. And then um, we decided then maybe. It should be, be a good idea to open up a food bank, you know, going with um, England's mm. take on how they do it. Yeah. So we we didn't think that we were going to get, you know, um, many people asking for help, but we were actually shocked that 
the amount of people that actually needed food in County Mead and the requests just get bigger and bigger and bigger and we opened the food bank and called it a food bank I'd say it would have been when was it 2017 right and the local people in the community um, very good County Mead we're so blessed to live in it because there is so many good natured people in County Mead that donate on a regular basis but now since this cost of living mm. and the food hikes and everything getting so expensive, our donations at the food bank have completely hit a wall. Um, like that, our shopping bill is out the door now yeah. to keep the food bank full of food. Sure. And uh, to make sure that we're looking after our regular service users plus um, the new service users that we have which is quite a long list of service users and yeah. um, everybody is feeling the pinch Yeah, and like that I am the voice for them people they're the people who tell me how they're feeling mentally, physically, everything on the phone and it's not just individuals who are, who are on a social welfare payment that are feeling this pinch it's everyone now mm. and I really really am concerned about our service if we have to close with our overheads and our rent and everything sure. and if we have to close where are they going to go who are they going to turn to and um, and that's my main concern a lot of my service users would have mental health issues a lot of them would be um working working class people and you know people who are working really hard and yeah. still not making it mm. still not being able to make put food in the fridge mm. for their children and so you've been hit with the double whammy of the cost of living crisis which means that the people who used to donate food perhaps can't any longer because their own shopping bill has gone up by so much plus yeah. an increased demand from people who can't afford to do their shopping and who are starting yeah. now to rely on the service that you provide. Now I, yeah. I think I'm right in saying you recently pursued charitable status is that correct? Oh yeah we were nearly now God it's Nearly two years now that we have our charity status. Right. So you were a registered charity. Why do you think you cannot get state funding of some description? Because as I said, apparently the government's coming down with money at the minute. Yeah. And I've applied, I applied last year for government funding and I received an email back stating that they didn't have it, that Mm. they had so many charities. Mm that they had they had given to that they just didn't have enough for us. But at, at this point I am organising a demonstration next Friday um, outside of the food bank um, on Market Square at Clonard House. We're, we're going to be up by the bull and it's basically to highlight the fact that we have families impoverished yeah. in County Meat, living in food poverty, I never thought I'd have to say it. Mm. Never. What, whatever about anything else but food. Yeah. And like that, there's families living in food poverty in dire straits. Mm. 
and also the government now need to step up. I've kept quiet for long enough. And the time for being quiet now is, is over. over. Good woman. Over. Good woman. So you need people to contact their local TDs, your local councillors and, and bring this to their attention. You also need people at this demo. Is that this coming Friday, Ashling, or the Friday um, week? It's next Friday, not this Friday. Not this Friday. Next following Friday. Friday at week. 12 o'clock. At 12 o'clock. At 12 o'clock. And in the meantime... Uh, I just, as well, I just asked that it's... It's to do with child poverty, yes. food poverty, and the government stepping up here to to really assist families and help us help them. Especially at the and moment. That's, that's what the demonstration is about. It's not about anything else. Yeah. It's just about that alone. Okay. Well, it's, you know, it's a shame that somebody like you who does such great voluntary work has to also spend your time now shouting and demanding uh, a little bit of help, which obviously is very badly needed. Ashley, thanks for taking the call today. Congratulations and thank you for the work that you do for those who are less fortunate um, in the community. That is Ashling Lowe there from the Mead Food Bank and you can take part by getting involved in that demonstration, as she said, on Friday week at 12 o'clock. That's it for today. Uh, don't go away. Eddie's up next. We're leaving you today with uh, Niall Horan and I'm back here again tomorrow to do it all again. Talk to you then. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.